Hi, and welcome to this episode of Life Chain Secrets. In the last episode, we talked about not just trying to convince someone of something, but actually trying to get buy-in from them. And we said that there's a, we made this distinction because it can really change your whole demeanor when you're approaching that person. Because you want, that's what you want to try to do. You want to try to get buy-in. You don't want to just try to convince them to try to get what you want. And which brings me to the four points that we touched on, one of which was, first, you have to do your research. Secondly, you have to know what it's going to take for you, for you to actually accomplish what it is you're trying to accomplish and that you're trying to get buy-in about. You're also going to want to make sure that you are truly 150% convinced about what you're saying. And you also want to have a method because if you have a method, it's more likely that you're going to be able to get the buy-in that you're looking to get, right? And so that's the basis that we laid in the first episode. In this episode, we're going to talk about communication, And before you actually approach that person, it's important that you know them from a communication standpoint and also that you know what it is that they want instead of just going into the conversation thinking about what you want. That's the basis of any negotiation. And so to do that effectively, we need to incorporate some effective communication into the dialogue. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Life Chain Secrets right after this. Are you ready for a change and to finally do something about that feeling inside of you that says you have a different calling in life? To finally go after that dream or dust off that project you've been thinking of creating but still haven't done anything about yet? Do you need some support, direction, or motivational words from someone who has been there and who understands you? Well, if so, you've come to the right place. This podcast is a place to find inspiration for those who want to take control and change their lives for the better. Welcome to Life Change Secrets. Here's your host, Tony. So as I said, we're going to talk about communication in this episode. And specifically, we're going to talk about four specific aspects. The first one has to do with the ABCs of communication. The very most simple and basic concepts that have to do with the subject of communicating anything to anyone, okay? The second thing that we're going to talk about are communication styles, of which there are three that I want to touch on that come from neuro-linguistic programming, and I'll tell you what that is too. Then we're going to touch on communication levers, and those are levers that you can touch and pull in a dialogue to help you to motivate someone towards something that you know is good for them, but could also be good for you. And then we're going to talk about six basic human needs. And so why is this stuff all important? I really want to touch on something right here in the beginning before we go further. And I touched on this in the last episode, but if you didn't hear it, I want you to hear this from me again. Some people will say, and based on what I just said in this introduction, that what I'm really talking about is manipulating people. And that's not it. It's all about thinking about and knowing what the best interests of that person is that you're talking to, but also knowing what your best interests are, because you want to make sure that you get what you want, but not at all costs, all right, especially if you have to do with a loved one. You don't want to try to manipulate that person, and you know, this whole thing about using communication or using these things that I'm getting ready to talk about to manipulate people, you know, think about anything, somebody who does boxing training, somebody who does martial arts, somebody who does judo, you know, any of those things can be used in a negative way, 
but but that's not why people teach them, right? At least that's why not why most people I would say teach them. You can use martial arts or judo or anything to beat people up and to you know just be nasty with people and try to be like a big brute. Or you could use it to defend yourself. You could to help others to defend themselves, to stay in shape, to help other people stay in shape, you know, to teach people self-defense. And so it all depends on how you want to use it. It's just like anything else. And so my purpose for teaching you this is to help you not to convince necessarily, but to help you get it, to get buy-in, which is, for me, the word buy-in is more about collaboration, right? But... At any rate, in order to do that, you have to know better the person is that you're going to be talking to. And all these things I'm getting ready to talk to you will help you to know not only the other person, but it'll help you to get to know you yourself first and foremost. Okay? So let's get started. The first thing is just about the ABCs of communication. Now, if I was ahead you on a video, I could show this to you, but I'm going to just you know kind of tell you this briefly and uh, in a succinct way just so that you can get, kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. Communication, if you and I are standing in front of each other and having a normal conversation, we both have basically three communication tools that we can use, right? We have the verbal, we can use words. We have nonverbal, we can use gestures and facial expressions and proximity, you know, with our body movement and, you know, uh, space, or we can use the tone of our voice, right? We can use any of those three tools. And in technical jargon, it's verbal, nonverbal, and paraverbal, okay? Anyway, here's the thing. If you can imagine a cake or a pie that is 100%, and let's say that we want to divide that pie up using those three communication tools, Verbal, nonverbal, and paraverbal. And we want to put all those three elements into the pie. And the pie represents 100%. How much or what percentage of the pie does each one of those three elements represent? I'm just going to give you a second here just to think about it. And so I'll tell you the answer. That is based on a study done by, I believe it was the University of Pennsylvania initially. And... uh, they studied a lot of different cultures all over the world, and they came to the conclusion that words actually weigh in a normal face-to-face conversation. Now, of course, it depends on you know, the emotions, it depends on the situation, it depends on the individuals, but in general, the words weigh approximately 7% of the total, and that might surprise you. Because you're thinking, wow. Now, if you if you use some choice words, they might stick a little bit longer. They might have a little bit more significance. But I'm talking about in a normal conversation, the words weigh approximately 7%. The tone of voice weighs approximately 38%, while the nonverbal communication is the most important part of all, which weighs approximately 55%. And we're talking again about an average Okay, in normal face-to-face conversation between two people. Now, 
That's important to know because a lot of people don't even realize that. Sometimes we, we just communicate. If you've never had any formal training about communication or the so-called soft skills, which are not technical things, they're not, for example, things like um, how to put together a, a machine or you know some technical uh, work that you need to do on a physical instrument, these are soft skills. Soft skills are more things that have to do with your character, things that have to do with communication, things like what we're talking about right now. And so if you've never had any formal training in this, maybe you never even thought about it. I'm sure, though, that it's it's kind of innate. For example, if you see two people standing on the other side of the room and you just and you can't even hear what they're saying, but you can tell by their nonverbal communication that they might be talking about somebody or that they're talking about something that they want to be a secret, or that they're upset with each other, or that one person is is upset with the other, or that they're trying to do something that's that's schemy and conniving. You know what I'm saying? You can just tell because that's their nonverbal communication, and you haven't heard one word out of their mouth, and you haven't even heard the tone of their voice. Or you can tell if somebody, if just by looking at someone, you can tell if they're embarrassed. You can tell if they're shy. You can tell if they're exuberant. You can tell all this stuff by their nonverbal communication. So what I'm saying is don't underestimate that. When you go and you approach this person about something that you were trying to get buy-in about, that's why I said if you're convinced, and you look yourself in the mirror and you're really convinced about this, you can't just say it. You have to show it. And you can't act it. It's inside of you and it's going to come out in your nonverbal communication. It's kind of like a salesperson. Imagine this. A salesperson knocks on nine doors and gets nine no's. And they go up to the 10th door. What do you think that they're thinking that the customer is going to say? Probably He's probably thinking they're going to say no. And so sometimes that's what an inexperienced salesperson will do. And it's tough because, you know, we're all human beings. But they'll walk up to the 10th door and they're kind of shy. Hi, my name's uh, Tony. I just wanted to uh, know if you had a little time for me. You know what I mean? Because they're all shy because they're thinking because the other nine said no. So he's probably going to say no too, right? And so what I'm saying is don't underestimate the power of your nonverbal communication. The words are important, but they're not the most important thing. Okay, so that's the first part. The second part I want to talk to you about is about communication styles. Now, there are basically three communication styles according to the study of neurolinguistic programming. So I'm going to stop for a moment and explain what that is if you've never heard of that before. Neurolinguistic programming is a study that is now, it's, it's spread out like wildfire across the world. And it was founded by two gentlemen named Richard Bandler and John Grinder. If I'm not mistaken, it was back in the early 1980s. And they were doing a master's degree and doing their thesis around something that had to do with psychiatry. But this study of theirs turned off into a different direction. And they started studying human excellence. And so the basic question that they asked themselves is, why is it that some people get really good results in in life and other people don't? What's the difference between these two people? Is it only talent or is there something else? And so they came to the conclusion, without going into a long, drawn-out explanation, they came to the conclusion that people who get typically great, extraordinary results think differently 
they speak differently, first and foremost to themselves, and they act differently with respect to the other people who are on the total other side of that spectrum who get incredibly poor results in the things that they do. All right. And so what they said was, and that's how this, the name of this, this kind of a science, I guess, if you will, came to be. They said, if you program yourself, even if you're not getting really good results in something, whatever it is, if you program yourself to think the way that the other people think who get extraordinary results, because those are people who think very positively. It's very difficult that people like that are going to, you're going to hear them say things like, I don't think that's possible. I don't think we're going to be able to do it. I don't think we're going to make it. It's difficult. Can you imagine Michael Jordan or Roger Federer or Serena Williams or, you know, people like that or Martin Luther King or um, Steve Jobs or Oprah Winfrey? Can you imagine them saying something like that? Because they're just high flyers. And they just have a certain way of thinking. I met Michael Jordan. I spent a week with Michael Jordan. And I understood that concept very well after meeting him. Anyway, so these two gentlemen said that if you can program yourself to think like those people think and to act like they think and to speak first and foremost with yourself the way they speak to themselves and the way you hear them speak to others and about things, then you may never get to, to be the extraordinary phenomenons that they are, but you might be able to better your position simply because you programmed yourself in that way. You see what I'm saying? By modeling what they do. And that's what this is all about. So like I said, this is the study of human excellence, really. And so one of the things in this study is about communication and about how they communicate. And, uh, and that's where these three communication styles come from. So they are based on five senses. Now, the five senses, as we know, are sight, hearing, touch, taste, and smell. And so the part of sight, the vision, is so important in neurolinguistic programming that it has its own category with regard to communication. And so it's called visual. Hearing is also so important that it has its own category, and that's called auditory. And then the other three senses all put together, touch, taste, and smell, are all grouped together in one category that's called kinesthetic. Okay, so you have V-A-K, VAC, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. So let's look at the characteristics that these three different kinds of communication styles have. So first of all, I'm going to say in this explanation, I'm going to talk about people who are extremely visual, extremely auditory, and extremely um, kinesthetic, okay? So just so that you can get the idea. And I also want to say something else before I forget that it doesn't mean that you're only one of these ways and you're nothing else. It just might mean that in certain situations you're one way or you're predominantly one way. But it doesn't mean that you're never any of those other two, okay? So anyway, let's get to the first one. Each one of the communication styles has its own keyword. And the keyword for a visual person is images. An extremely visual person has images running through its mind. And so these images run through their mind and you know like the old film strips that used to have like images one right after the other and the faster they go the faster it makes movement on the screen that it's projected on right well see that's the same thing or something similar that happens to a visual person a visual person will see images in his mind 
And his whole objective of communicating to you or communicating anything is to help others to see the same images that they see in their minds. And that reflects on their whole way of communicating. For example, extremely visual people usually speak at a high tone of voice. They speak very pretty loudly. They speak very fast. Sometimes they talk so fast you can't even understand what they're talking about, you know? Because they're speaking so fast. Because these images that they see in their minds are running through so fast that they have to keep up with them. And so that's why they talk so fast. And so if you can imagine also, since they speak so fast, do you think that an extremely visual person will breathe, tends to breathe deeply or from the mid-chest upwards? Well, if you said from the mid-chest upwards, you're right, because they don't have time to breathe deeply. And it's too, it takes too much time for that, right? And so they're, that's why they're so quickly. But one of the most important characteristics of an extremely visual person is the way they use gestures. Because, once again, their whole objective of communicating is to show you what they see. And what better way to do that than using gestures? And so they will use gestures to explain and show you exactly what they see. All right? And another characteristic that an extremely visual person has is that if you're sitting across from them and talking to them about something, they will draw what they are talking about. And they'll show it to you. And they might go through 10 or 15 pages while they're sitting there talking to you because they want you to see exactly what they see in their heads. And that's why they draw a lot, while they're showing you what they're, what they're talking about. Okay. Then there's the auditory person. Now, the auditory person, like the visual person, like the other, the kinesthetic person, they also have a keyword. And their keyword is rhythm or sound. And their whole communication style reflects on that. And so, for example, an extremely auditory person will, you know, likes to listen to a lot of music. Maybe not so much when they're trying to concentrate, though. Maybe because that maybe that same kind of music that might bother them while they're concentrating. But they like listening to other, a lot of music. They like talking on the phone a lot. And they're often the person that in a group setting, they're the one talking a lot. Maybe in a classroom setting, they're always raising their hands, asking questions. Um, maybe when they're walking because they like rhythm, maybe they're dragging their feet because it makes sound, you know. Or maybe it's the person who's clicking the pen while you're, while you're talking to them, you know. Or maybe they're beating their hands on a table or whistling or something, you know. They're always making some kind of noise because they're extremely auditory. And when they make gestures, they usually make gestures to emphasize a point. You see what I'm saying? Good. And so that's the auditory person. And then there is the kinesthetic person. Now, the kinesthetic person is a person who speaks usually a lot slower because the kinesthetic person has another keyword, and that keyword has to do with feelings. And so the objective of the kinesthetic person is to help you to feel what they feel. And that's why when they gesture a lot, they gesture towards themselves, towards their chest, towards their stomach, because they want you, they're referring to something that they have inside of them and that they want to express to you. They're usually people who speak a lot slower. They will take the time to choose the right word because it's that important because it might help you to feel better or more what I'm trying to say 
You see what I'm saying? They speak at a lower tone of voice. And these are people who are, who just move, tend to move a lot slower. And again, I'm talking about someone who's extremely kinesthetic. They're the complete opposite of the visual person. So let me ask you a question. Which one do you think is the coolest? Which one do you think is the best? Well, you see, there is none. We're just talking about what's different. And so I used to think when I heard all this, when I heard this description, I used to think, oh, man, it must be really cool to be visual. Well, you know, it's, that's not it. That's not what this is about. It's not about who's better or who's the coolest. It's about just who's different. And so why is this so important to know these things? First of all, if you are extremely visual and you have to communicate something to, to someone who's extremely kinesthetic, and I'm using this example because they're two extreme opposites, if you really want to get buy-in from that person and you want to get that person to listen to you, you better tone it down a little bit. So if you're, if you're just too over the top and this person is really like laid back and really soft-spoken and slow in his, in his demeanor and his gestures and you're just like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing today? Hey, listen, I want to talk to you about this thing, man, because, you know, it's really cool. You're not going to create empathy that way. You're just not. And so, so you better have an approach that's more conducive to getting across the message that you want to get across. By the same token, if you're really soft-spoken and slow-moving and take you, you take time to choose your words, if you go up and you need to talk to somebody who's really visual, an extremely visual person, and is really, really fast, and you go up with this slow-talking and, you know, I, hey, can I just talk to you for a second? I just, no, I just wanted to talk to you for like, you know, just if you have like five minutes, you know. And they're like, you know, you got like 30 seconds, buddy. And if you better get your point across because cause they're going to start looking at their watch and they're like, yeah, and they're going to start finishing your sentences for you because you're too slow. And so you might say, well, how can I change though? This is the way I am. Well, you have to at least make an attempt. And so, you know, we can go into this another time, but I just want to, I just want to kind of make you sensitive to these things because sometimes if you think about, you know, something that you tried to get across to someone or maybe somebody didn't understand what you were trying to say and you, and you kept having to repeat yourself because they didn't get it, maybe it was because you weren't putting yourself on the same wavelength as this person. You see what I'm saying? So that's, those are things to know as well. Then there's something called what they call metaprograms in neurolinguistic jargon. And so what are they? They are motivational levers. Give you an example. There are, I believe there are some 50 of those. If you pick up a neurolinguistic programming book, there's a lot of them in there. I'm not sure exactly how many there are because I'm not a, an expert. I've studied this stuff, but all I know is that there's a lot of them. But I'm going to give you just a couple examples. One of them is has to do with what they call chunks. And there are big chunks and there are little chunks. And so what does that mean? That means that some people tend to explain things in big chunks. They tend to communicate that way. That means like if I say, so uh, Martha, what did you do last weekend? And Martha's like, eh, not too much. Just had some dinner with some friends did some, and just relaxed a little bit. Not too much. And you're just, I'm just like waiting because I'm thinking, well, maybe something more is coming. And so now I have to 
decode what Martha was just saying because she didn't say very much. She used really big, huge chunks of information that I have to break down. So I got to get my hammer and my chisel out now and I got to break this big old rock that she gave me down to try to understand what it is she meant when she said she was relaxing. So did she relax on the bed? Did she just lay on the couch? Did she lay on the easy chair, on the lawn chair? Was it outside? Was it inside? Um, when she said she went out and she had dinner with friends, did she go out? Did she have it in, in the house? Did they go out and eat meat? Did they eat fish? Did they eat in the, in the same town? Did they go to another town? How many, how many friends were there? Were they male, female? You see what I'm saying? She didn't tell me anything. All she, was, all she did was give me these huge chunks of information. And I got to figure that out for myself. On the other hand, if I asked Barry, I said, Barry, so what did you do this weekend? And Barry's like, Barry's, you know, he goes and opens up a beer first. Sits down, and you know already by his nonverbal communication, it's going to be a long one. You know what I mean? Because Barry's getting ready to launch into. He's like, well, first of all, I didn't even get home until late on Friday night because it was a long week. Because I, I must have worked like eighty hours this week. Because we, we were like so busy, man. I mean, I worked like twelve-hour days all day. And then so anyway, I got home. I had to go pick up the girls because my wife was out with her girlfriends. So I had to go home. I had to go get the girls. One was at a dance practice. The other one was at soccer practice. I had to bring them home. I had to cook, but I made this salmon man in the, in the oven. It was great. You should, one of these days, I'll make that for you too. But you know, then I let the girls go to bed at eleven thirty. You know, it was all, actually it was almost midnight because you know on the weekends we let them stay up a little late because usually during the week they go to bed at ten thirty. You know what I mean? And after like twenty minutes, you're at Saturday afternoon. You know what I mean? Because he's giving you all these little pieces of information. And so that's the difference sometimes in communication. Some people will communicate with big chunks of information and some other people will communicate with tiny pieces and little chunks of information. And so again, which one's right, which one's wrong? There is no right or wrong. It's just different. And so once again, if you're trying to explain something to someone and you really want them to get, you want to get buy-in from that person and you go and give them big chunks of information without explaining those things properly and clearly in little chunks of information like they want, you're going you're, you're gonna to have a difficult time getting that buy-in. See what I'm saying? So you need to know how to do that. You need to know who the person is that's sitting across from you and how they want to communicate and how they want to be communicated to, right? I'll give you another example. Some people are more results-oriented and some people are more process-oriented. And so, you know, let's just take the example, you know, you're in a company and your boss gives you an order and your boss is really results oriented. And so she just explains this to you really, really quickly. And she just gives you this big overview. And she says, you know, just I want this result. I want you to make this report I need, and then need it on my desk by tomorrow morning. So she's really results oriented. You, on the other hand, are more results oriented. And so you want to explain to her about everything that you thought you might want to put into this report and what the individual chapters are going to be and the individual sections of this report. And once you start explaining that, she doesn't want to hear it. And the reason she doesn't want to hear it because she's really results-oriented. John, I don't need to know. Just put the, just give me the report. And John is like, yeah, he's like desperate because he really wants to explain to her because he doesn't want to get anything wrong. So he's like he's trying to explain to her, you know, well, I thought I would talk about this and this. And she's like, yeah, 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 okay, okay, don't worry about it. Because she's really results-oriented. And so once again, if you're trying to get buy-in from somebody and you're just giving them the overview, the high level, because for you it's clear, but for that person it's not clear. 
because they're more process oriented. They want to know, great, it seems like you have a good idea what you want to do, but can you help me to understand how you're going to actually make that happen? Because I don't get it. I don't see it. See what I'm saying? And you need to know that. And another one of these levers has to do with examples. Some people, and this is a crazy one. I didn't really think about this, but it's so true. Some people are just skeptical. And that's just the way they are. So no matter what you throw at them, they're skeptical. And so those kind of people need a greater number of examples in order to be convinced about something with respect to other people. And so you start to talk to this person. You're trying to convince them. So you throw an example. And you say, well, yeah, but you can do it this way. And they're like, mm, no, I don't think so. That's not, I, don't, I don't agree with that. So you give me another example. And they're like, no, I don't know. I don't think so. And then you give them another example. You're like, well, I see what you're trying to say, but I still don't, I still don't get it. And you give them another example. And they're like, mm, yeah, okay, you're getting closer. And then you give them the fifth example. And you say, okay, but if you say it like that, yeah, you're right. And then you're thinking, oh, I should have used the fifth example first. No, because they're skeptical. And so you need, when you're, when you're up against a person like that, that you know is skeptical, you need to have some concrete examples in the back pocket that you can pull out and throw on a table to help to get the buy-in that you're looking for. Because if you don't have enough examples, and if those examples are not concrete enough and real enough, you're not going to be able to convince them. You see what I'm saying? While as other people, they don't need that many examples. All right? And so that's just a little taste of these motivational levers. And then the last thing that I want to talk to you about are the six basic human needs that people have. And once again, just like the styles of communication, it doesn't mean that you only have one of these kinds of needs. It might mean, though, that you have certain ones that are predominant for you. And maybe for other people, the other ones are predominant, okay? So there are four primary human needs, and there are two additional human needs. The four primary ones are, the first one is security. Some people need to feel secure. And that doesn't mean, you know, we're not talking about Maslow's pyramid of human needs. We're talking about, these are based on, I think, has to have something to do with neuro-linguistic programming Anthony Robbins was, I think, one of the first ones to introduce these like this. And um, so, like I said, the first one is security. And some people just need to feel secure. That means they need to not just have a roof over their head and food to eat and money, but they need security in their everyday lives. So these people are like they need a, a fixed job, fixed income, um, maybe they like to go into work and do the same thing every day, same office, same desk, work at the same people, go to eat with the same people. You know, what I mean? they need the same stuff because they need that security every day. On the other hand, there are some people like me who need variety. They don't want that security. They don't want that same stuff every day. They get bored that way. They need variety in their lives. And so, for example, eat me. I go out and I work with different clients. Today I'm with a client. Tomorrow I'm with another client. And maybe for two days. And then maybe I'll be at home for a day or two. And then maybe I go out with another client. You know what I mean? Because I love that. I love variety. I love doing different things. Okay? Some people need that. Some people, this is the third one, some people need to feel important. They need recognition. They need to feel like they're the center of attention. They need to feel recognized. 
They need to know that other people care about them, right? The fourth one has to do with union. So some people need to work together with others. They need to feel part of a team, a part of a group. They rarely go anywhere by themselves. They always want to be together with other people. You know, they're not loners. They're the complete opposite, right? And then, so those are the four primary ones. Then the two secondary ones are contribution. Some people need to contribute. They need to feel like they're giving advice. They need to help. They need to um, give a helping hand. They are sometimes volunteers. They want to, you know, be you know involved in the group project and for the betterment of the group. Um, number six is growth. Some people feel the need to grow. That means they love to study. They love to do research. They love to read. They love to go to courses and seminars. Um, they're looking at TED Talks and YouTube videos to learn things. Um, they want to learn something from their bosses. This is something that I discussed with uh, managers and entrepreneurs and business owners. You know that you know sometimes your people want to learn things from you, and one of the things that motivates them is when they're learning something. And if they're not learning anything, they're not motivated, right? Because they need that. So you know we talked about the, the ABCs of communication. We talked about different communication styles. We talked about motivational levers. We talked about the six basic human needs. So the first thing that sometimes comes natural is to think about how you can project those things that you just learned or we just talked about onto others. So you're thinking maybe about that person that you're trying to convince or that you're trying to get buy-in from. What kind of communication style does that person have? What kind of needs does that person have? And like we said uh, before, you know, with regard to the basic human needs, it doesn't mean you only have one of them. You could have a couple of these, you know. But what I first and foremost recommend that you do is to, is to ask yourself, which communication style do I have? Which motivational levers are most important to me? Which of the human needs are most important to me? Start to look at yourself in the mirror first before you start projecting this stuff onto other people. And then start to ask yourself, what about that person now that I'm getting ready to go talk to and approach and try to get buy-in from? What kind of communication style do they have? And how can I best match that as best as possible? Because the the fact of the matter is, and you know, you, you talk about you know getting rapport with people, which is something that we talked about in the in the last episode. And here's just a question for you just to reflect on. Do you think that people like most people that are most like them or are very different from the way they are? You think about your friends. Your friends are are more people who are completely different and have completely different interests than you do or the people who are more like you and more similar to you and have more interests that are similar to yours? We, we We tend to like people who are more similar to us. And so that's the reason why it's important to know before you want to go and approach someone, especially if you want to convince them or try to get buy-in from them, you want to know more about that person first. You want to know who that person is who's sitting on the other side from you. And try to communicate, not in your typical communication style, but in the way that they like to be communicated to. And try to touch their human needs and try to hit their most motivational levers and try to talk to them in their communication style. You see what I'm saying? Because if you do that, you'll, it'll be more like they're talking to somebody who has created empathy with them. 
And that's really important if you want to try to get buy-in, okay? So, like I said, um, in the first episode, we talked about, you know, the, the importance of having a method, about doing your research, about being convinced, about knowing what it's going to take for you to get to where you want to get to so that you can explain that in a, in a very intelligent way. And then you couple those things with your communication, effective communication, you know, using the ABCs, remember that the, the nonverbal communication is so important. Don't forget that. Don't underestimate that. You're going to communicate what's inside of you, what you're thinking. And if you're thinking about convincing someone, that's going to come out. If you're thinking about getting buy-in, then that's going to come out. So think about that. Also remember the, the other person's communication style. Remember the motivational levers that you might want to touch that might help that person to feel better about what it is you're proposing. And again, we're not talking about manipulating, we're talking about getting buy-in for something that's gonna be good for the both of you, right? And then also think about what their human needs are. If they, if they need to feel important, help them to feel important. If they need to be involved because they're, they like union, then, then involve them. Don't just talk to them once, like I said before, like I said in the last episode, and then don't tell them anything for like six weeks while you're working on your project, keep them involved because they like that, right? And if they need to feel secure, then help them feel secure. Help them to understand how your project or what it is that you want to do is going to help them to feel secure, okay? If they need to grow, if they need to contribute, involve them so that they can help you with the process. See what I'm saying? So I hope this was helpful. I really do. And uh, just like I always say with all these episodes, look in the... You know, if you haven't done so already, look in the description of the podcast episode. You'll find links in there where you can come and see me. You can, there are things to download, there's things to look at. Um, and whatever you do, you know, if you're really looking to make a, uh, a serious change in your life, stay with me because I have a lot more things to say.